Hello and welcome back to the Football Diary podcast in a week where I was hoping to pretty much exclusively talk about Villa beating Arsenal and there being really firm in the title race and that there would be no other headlines from the Premier League. But unfortunately, Fulham put a stop to that with a 5-0 win, a back-to-back 5-0 wins as well, worth mentioning. Bournemouth beat Man United 3-0 at Old Trafford as well, but who knows what angle we could take on that because who knows how to review Man United these days. Spurs look like they're trying to put themselves back in the conversation of the top four as well after beating Newcastle 4-1. And Everton get a massive win against Chelsea. So it looks like they're going to stay uh, clear of relegation, even with the points deduction. But how do we view Sean Dyche's side? It's been a really interesting weekend in the Premier League, Dave, hasn't it? And there seems like there's only one place for us to start. You know where I'm taking you, don't you? I'm taking you... On a walk with me, Dave, straight towards the Premier League title, which starts at Villa Park. An amazing result again, Dave. We've beaten Arsenal 1-0, who were top of the league going into the weekend, off the back of beating the treble winners of last year at Man City 1-0. Come on, talk to me. You tell me. How good are we, Dave? How does it feel to, to beat two of the, the favourites for the title in the space of a week? Well, we're now one of the favourites. That's how good it feels. <laughs> 3.2 up to a saying now. Do you remember a while ago, we shared a little clip on our socials, Mike taking the mickey out of me with the 0.01% chance of Villa winning the league. Well, we're up to 3.2% now. We're cooking. <laughs> nah, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's been a crazy week, really, for Villa fans. Crazy season, to be honest. I Just the game itself, the, the two games that... They've played obviously in the last week. There's been a contrast to the two, um, you, you know, the the swashbuckling performance in the City game to obviously this Arsenal game was very different in itself. Um, I think my question here, I suppose, is what's different about Villa's approach to games this mm. this season? I think particularly in the big games um, because. It's the two games and the way they approach both games, um, each in their own particular way. It's just a breath of fresh air, I think, for Villa fans actually going into these games and feeling like they they can win. Uh, it's funny you say that actually because we started the season against Newcastle so poorly that you thought it might be a worry that big teams would find us out for our system. But as it's gone on, we've seen how well implemented our style of play is. And actually, we're now talking about the team that's averaging more points per game against the top half than any other team, which is, that's an incredible stat for Villa. Now, granted, a lot of that comes from our amazing home record and Villa Park plays a huge part in our success there. Emery mentioned it himself. That it's I know it's a cliche that most managers use about the 12th man, but it really does feel like that. I've never seen Villa Park bounce in the way it is right now. And you can understand that when we've just made it 15 home wins in a row. But the structure of our team is just so excellent. I think a lot of people mistakenly will talk about this game like Arsenal completely dominated it and Villa were passengers, but lucky. Whereas actually the reality of it is Villa did what Villa do. They scored an early goal, which they love doing. If you look at it for this season, that's something Villa always try and capitalise on, taking the momentum out of a game. And then Unai Emery often has his reputation of being quite a defensive coach. And we've not really seen that of him at Aston Villa outright. But we saw it in this game because... We were off the back of a, let's be honest, a draining performance against Man City, which was absolutely superb. But we weren't going to have a lot left in the tank for the weekend. And the plan was, right, we've got the lead. Now we can hold it. And I trust Villa to do that these days. It wasn't so much that they let Arsenal control the game. They just controlled how Arsenal played the game. It was fine to let them have the ball. They play this high line that stops Arsenal from getting anywhere near the goal at the majority of the time. Uh, I think people have 
mistakenly said that Arsenal were just peppering the Villa goal. It's actually the fewest amount of attempts on goal they've had in any game this season, this game. And because the midfield was so compact and because McGinn, Louise, Kamara, Tielemans, even Dendonka when he came on, stopped the midfielders from getting the balls over the top to break that offside trap, it was just hard for Arsenal to create any genuine chances. And when they did have a couple of glimpses, well, you've got the world's best goalkeeper. So it was excellent. They really controlled the game. And there are a few players in particular, Dave, that we want to talk about, aren't there? I mean, you mentioned Leon Bailey and his impact that he's had this season. What, what have you made of him? Because it looked like he was gone in the summer. It looked like Villa were done with him. They were going to cut their losses. And actually, we've seen a whole new player, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, particularly, you know, last season, very stop-start, had a few niggly injuries and really struggled to kind of exert him, himself on, onto into the Premier League, really. And especially, I think, the start of this season started really, started really strong. He's obviously been really productive as well. I think he's got nine goals and assists in his last 14 Premier League games. Um, I think you mentioned about He's been one of the most productive players per minute as well. Yeah, I'll share that stat with you. Even before this game, he was averaging a goal or assist every 63 minutes. So he's become one of the most effective wingers in the Premier League. I think in terms of the way he's playing now, um, I think you've only got to praise Emery for persisting and believing in him. And you can see a lot of the belief that he's instilled into these players. Um, The mentality and the character that they're showing now is just completely Mm. different to what we've seen in previous um, eras, um, infamously the, the Steven Gerrard uh, era. Um, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> it looks completely different. I mean, we can, yeah. we can sit here all day, but I think what he's showing now, Bailey, is just h- how difficult he is to deal with. Like Defenders just mm. don't know which way to show him because he, he's equally good at cutting in onto that left foot or he mm. literally shows them you know, onto that foot and then goes on down on the outside and is able to, mm. it just shows, I think he's not obviously just been scoring goals, but he's been creating opportunities. I think he's averaged over yeah. a pa- one key pass per game this season, which is mm. really good. And clearly uh, Emery's more than happy with him. But Well, he um, must be because he's, he started the two biggest games of our season ahead of Diaby now, which I didn't see that coming. Not to say that Diaby's not been excellent as well. I don't want to take anything away from him, but the effectiveness of Bailey, particularly at Villa Park, is ridiculous. So he's got four goals and four assists in his last seven games at Villa Park. He started only three of them. That's that's outstanding, isn't it? That's someone who clearly has found a home. And you're right, it was really hard for him to find that home over the last couple of seasons. It felt like he never had a consistent enough run in the team or that, like you say, the injuries really prevented him. But Emery has improved so many of these players. There was a massive thing going around about even the City win. Nine of the players that started that game were there before Emery. So he's improving the squad, isn't he, Dave? It's not just about the tactical style. The individual performances are much better. And we've seen two potentially back-to-back man-of-the-match performances from John McGinn as well. I I wonder what your take on him is, because if we're saying that Villa are stopping teams from breaking them down because their midfield is just so tireless, John McGinn's a huge part of that, right? Oh, definitely. And there's not really more of a big game player than than him at the minute. I feel Mm. like he just... You know, he's, he's stood up and he's counted for for every occasion. This this season is it's going to be really difficult to say who's going to be your player of the season. That's 
for mm. me is, is crazy in itself. You know, you look at, I mean, his midfield partner and Douglas Louise, who's been mm. an absolute re- revelation as well. But what McGinn offers you is he's an, it's got an all round package, really. And you look at the way he took his goal, particularly in, in this in the Arsenal game. It's just so, so clever how he just mm. how he turns and the finish is, you know, it's brilliant. And, do you know he's now got four goals in the Prem this season? That's his, his most in a Premier League season already. Has it really? <laughs> yeah, honestly. And he's not... He's not been more than that? Because we know how much of a threat he can be in, yeah. the, in those areas. He really struggled to score for Villa for a really long time. He was bagging goals for Scotland every international break. But Emery's instilled that confidence in him. Now, he lost a lot of confidence last season when he took the captain's armband. And now it feels fully justified for him to be leaving that side out because he gives everything on the pitch. And in this game, he showed both sides of it, I think. He got the goal early, like you say, and it was an excellent finish, really nice turn in the box. But then again, his work rate, despite the fact that he played the Man City game before as well, he was just willing to chase everything down. And what you want to do when you're pushing so high up the pitch is stop the other team from having too much time on the ball where they can start picking out their wide players. And Saka and Martinelli largely were were quite restricted at times. Martinelli looked far more dangerous, actually. And when Cash came on with Ndonka, that was clearly to nullify that effect. But generally speaking, McGinn and Kamara were there to break up Arsenal's midfield whenever it was on the ball to stop them feeding those forward players. I just thought it was excellent. There's another player that we've talked about before as well, Dave, that I just wanted to give a quick shout out to because he played in a new role over the last couple of games and that's Esri Concer. I'm going to tell you something brilliant now, Dave, that I've been waiting to share with you because there's been a lot of Arsenal fans saying some very funny things about this game. So I just wanted a little bit of a, a kickback, if you'll allow me. Many people will say right now, best centre-back in the Premier League, William Saliba. Agreed? Okay, here's, here's something for you. Per 90 minutes now, Esri Konta, compared to William Saliba, has got a better percentage when it comes to take-ons and winning them, better percentage of winning aerial duels, ground duels, more tackles, clearances, interceptions and blocks per 90. So every defensive stat that you would want to measure a player by, Esri Konta is outperforming William Saliba this season. And their passing accuracy, both of them are on 92.6%. So, How many players are Villa going to have in the Premier League team of the season this year, Miles? That's my question. <laughs> All I want to know, Dave, is <laughs> how long is it going to take me to get a good spot at the title parade? to watch the boss go around Birmingham. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, I am going to ask you one quick question because Villa fans are very... I think we're very optimistic about the season, but are still realistic about what our goals are. And I think a lot of us would look at it now and say, we should be getting top four. I, I, I fully believe that. I, I said at the start of the season, I thought we would get Champions League qualification. I stand by that now. There is a, a brief conversation of whether they could push even further. What's a realistic aim for Aston Villa this season there, Dave? Well, I think Emery summed it up perfectly. And he said after the game is that it's still too early on in the season. And if they're round about the, in the conversation around sort of 30 games in and there's the opportunity there, then why not? But he's, I think the, the mentality that he has is is perfectly you know, just and... I think that's the way they've got to look at it. Really, is 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 focus on being consistent and improving on that away record because it's you know that's that's something that they really need to improve on. Um, look, Villa Park's an absolute fortress this season. If they continue the way they are, 
you can't imagine them dropping many points, you know, mm. you, not winning too many games. And I, I do feel as though top four is, is a realistic, you know, aim for them. Um, I think a title challenge is a little bit too much to ask, but what is, what's worked out perfectly for them is a lot of players actually coming back in. I think it was great to see Jacob Ramsey coming back. I thought yeah. it was happening to see him on the pitch. And the way that Emery is actually managing this squad is, you know, it's exemplary. And the players that are coming onto the pitch now, Villa are in a position where they have, like you mentioned, Diaby coming on. These are players mm. that are, you know, amazing players. They're not just players oh. bringing on to, to, to fill in or just yeah. to be a, they could be starting in, in the starting eleven. And 100%. No doubt leave. about it. Villa had the better bench at the weekend. If you'd offered me both benches at the start of the game, I'd have taken Villa's all day. I think that's a statement of how far the team have come as well, that we're now looking at a squad with real talent. And I think a lot of people have underestimated quite how well built this squad is. Because look at someone like Diego Carlos, who was brought in for quite big money last summer, had that unfortunate injury. But he was imperious in this game. He was absolutely excellent. He had two goal line clearances. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be uh, a miss of us to not discuss the we'll call them controversial decisions. <laughs> I'm sure you know my opinion on it, Dave. Um, obviously, let's talk about the the goal that was not a goal for Arsenal that would have drawn level. Havertz's goal, your take on it, Dave, before I share mine? I still couldn't tell. Like It was so unclear, really, whether the ball hit. It obviously did It did hit his hand. Um, mm. That was, you know, it's ball, but then it looks like whether it actually hit the defender's hand before his. I don't think mm. it was clean cut. But you could see that Havertz did, obviously, there was an element of control in there that it obviously came down and he was then able to finish. But mm. I think there's arguments from both sides. I think if you scored that goal, you'd feel quite hard done by. Mm. Um, and then, obviously, on the other side, again, it could go either way for me. And it's, the way it, the rules, the way that the, resu- the rules present themselves is that's what it is, really. That's what I was going to say. It's I don't think that it was the wrong decision. I think it's a flawed law. And I'll, I'll put my hands up and say it, sh- it should be a goal in the respects of what you expect in football. But by the current laws, it's, it, it's never a goal because there is an inequality between the defender and the attacker in that situation because it probably does hit Matty Cash's hand, but it's non-deliberate. So you don't penalise that for a defending player. It hits Havertz's hand non-deliberately. But you have to penalise that as the attacking player if the ball goes in the net. So it's definitely a flawed law, but it was applied correctly. So it's not a goal. I've seen a few complaints over whether Douglas Ruiz gave away a penalty on Jesus. Now, for me, okay, there is contact there. And actually, I think that would have been given for a penalty if it weren't for the fact that Jesus dive the wrong way, basically. (laughs) And if you slow it down and look at it on VAR as they do, well, it looks like the contact not had the impact on him that Jesus has sold and therefore it was ruled out. I thought that was very funny. I thought that was actually quite just that Jesus diving around cost him a penalty, basically. Do you know what? There's been a few instances actually in this last week that kind of gives me a little bit of hope for, for refereeing and there's been a few instances. The only thing is they've not always punished diving people. Mm. The players have gone down where there's been mm. contact, but it's been nowhere near enough to... Yeah you know, to basically give a, a free kick or a penalty. Yeah. And yeah. obviously rightly ruled that out, the referees, but I, I feel like they just need to take more action more consistently, really, if, it is a, if it's a blatant dive. Well, 
Well, I'm sure we'll come back next week to talk about Villa either <laughs> wasting the fact that they've just won those two games by losing in, in, inconspicuously or the charge will go on, mate, and we'll go <laughs> into Christmas top of the league. That's the plan. Um, another team who's had a real uh, upturn in fortunes and, and is scoring goals for fun is Fulham which I don't think either of us saw coming on the part a couple of weeks ago. But they're now in a position where they're coming off the back of two 5-0 wins. Ten goals, zero conceded in their last two games. And this is a team that we were a bit worried about after the summer, isn't it, Dave? Because we wondered how they were ever going to replace Mitrovic's goal. Turns out they'll spread them across the team and get all of them in two games, right? <laughs> Do you know what's crazy? If I was to say, say to you, obviously, in the last four games, they've scored 16 goals. <laughs> The previous nine, they only managed seven. So what's changed? What's changed then? Because that's mental. It's hard to pick it apart though, isn't it? It's, but, you know, maybe we'll have some Fulham fans obviously comment on it and say and they can tell us what has changed because it just seems like by switching a button, this all began really, obviously, on the back of that 3-1 loss to Villa. Um, <laughs> Keep mentioning Villa winning. This is great, though. <laughs> But that actually marked quite an important uh, occasion in Raul Jimenez actually breaking his Premier League duck and scoring his first goal of the season. Mm. And since then, he's obviously managed to score, well, he scored four goals in his last five games. And mm. I think well, one of the main questions for us, really, and I think we kind of written him off, haven't we? I think yeah, he had that really unfortunate injury, which mm. was. I think it was unthinkable, really, to, to think whether he will come back, come back from that. We've seen players, you know, have horrendous injuries. Petr Cech being one of them didn't really seem to be the same sort of player after he had that injury himself. Mm. Um, but he's really looking a real threat. And I think that this, the goal that he scored um, this weekend was a typical him and his goal. Yeah, lovely, um, wasn't it? Yeah, real fox in the box. And he's starting to show signs. And... I, it almost feels like it's it's actually really triggered a change in mm. their fortunes. And since he scored that goal, they've, they've mm. been scoring goals of fun, like you mentioned. Um, but well, the thing is, a lot of our attention in the summer was drawn to the Mitrovic deal, and I think we can all understand why. But actually, Fulham, either purposefully or not, did some really impressive things by keeping hold of Marco Silva. That was that was vital, and they did that very well. They tied Willian down to a new contract when it looked like he might be moving on as well. And he's been brilliant as well, which I don't think a lot of us saw come in quite to that extent. Uh, the Paulinia deal fell through for whatever reason, and he was vital in this game again. Whether they can hold on to him in January is another question, but fantastic for him to to be contributing when we it looked so certain he was going to leave. And the other one, uh, Alex Awobi, who I think last season was a bit of a bright spark in that Everton team at times. It was big business for him to move to Fulham. I think it caught a few people off guard, but he he looks really good for them, doesn't he, Dave? Yeah, particularly. I think he definitely seems like he's playing a bit more of an offensive role in this Fulham team mm. as what he was last year. And we're starting to see some of the talent that he was able to showcase in early on in his career at Arsenal. And we saw mm. how, you know, he was really threatening in that, those attacking areas and he's he's putting it all together really, especially of late. Obviously scored a couple of really good goals um, and got a couple of assists, I think, in the last uh, two or three games as well. Um, and it just seems like everything's falling into place for them at the minute. Another one, another player, Tom Kearney, who's not had the most amount of minutes um, yes. you know, in the last couple of seasons for Fulham. 
But he came in in this game, was absolutely outstanding, got man of the match, I think, and he, can, he completed 104 passes out of 110 passes, which is <laughs> mental. Crazy, isn't it? He's such a club hero as well. Like Fulham fans will yeah. absolutely adore seeing him succeed. And there's a few of them knocking about now that have been at Fulham for a little while and they've established themselves as real fan favourites. Harry Wilson being another. And we talked about a typical Jimenez goal. Wilson's outstanding goal feels like quite a typical Wilson goal, doesn't it? I mean, he only scores outstanding goals, doesn't he? I don't think yeah, much. he's pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> so, so what's Fulham's aim for the season now then, do you think? Well, I think they're... Is it the 10th now, is it? Yeah. So, I think if you... I think there would have been a lot of fear amongst fans, particularly before mm. this last four, game, last four game. Let's not forget, obviously, even before these two games, they obviously put up a real fight against Liverpool. Um, mm. Obviously, beat a, a really um, solid Wolves team before, the game before that as well. And mm. just shows they're obviously fighting for the cause. Um, I think if they could be aiming for sort of top... 10 that would be I think that would definitely exceed most supporters expectations considering how they did start the league, the league campaign mm. um, like you mentioned there was there was big questions about how they were going to create enough chances and enough opportunities mm. and finish opportunities but they don't seem to be struggling anymore um, yeah I think that's true but they're an ambitious side Fulham I think I think you can see by some of the recruitment they've had and even like we talked about the managerial choice they they seem like they're on the up. And actually, even the players that they were lining up to replace Paulini, if he'd gone on, it was massively talked about that they were basically done with Scott McTominay coming in. And then look at the form he showed this season. Fulham have obviously got an eye. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Fulham pushing for maybe a conference league space. If we keep seeing, obviously, teams like Brighton are going to be competing in Europe throughout the season, whether they can keep it up. West Ham are pretty inconsistent, as we saw here. So there are teams to be caught up. I think my only worry to think? I think their squad's quite thin. So if they mm. pick up an injury to a key player, if they lose Amina's, if they lose William, I think William might have picked up a small knock in this game. Hopefully yeah. it's nothing serious because, you know, they've been outstanding in these last few games. Mm. Then that'll be key for them, really, just staying mm. fresh. But they def- I feel like they probably need to bring the striker in in January. And yeah. if they can do that, um, there's no reason why they can't push on. There's... There's so many inconsistent teams in, in this league um, at the minute. And mm. I think there's definitely a case for them to kind of go on and really... Well, you know. yeah, on the other side of the coin is one of the inconsistent teams. And Dave was telling me earlier to give a gigsy to the end of the season and get rid of <laughs> David Moyes. Uh, off the back of beating Spurs midweek, a 5-0 loss. Does that sum up West Ham to you right now? They sit mid-table as well. I think they're ninth mid-table. Win one game, lose the next. Is that what West Ham are right now to you, Dave? What do you think of them right now? Oh, they've been such a yo-yo team, haven't they, over the last like twelve to eighteen months? Like their form mm. has been just so inconsistent, and you don't mm. know what the team's going to turn up. Obviously, they've got a great result against Spurs in in the week. Um, albeit, I don't think it was the best performance, and I think that is the story of their campaign so far. They're not necessarily putting together the, the best displays, but they're getting results here and there. Um, mm. And then they were absolutely diabolical in this game. But, you know, I don't want to kind of not give Fulham the credit, but Fulham, True. just... Keep that, 
keep that mentality in mind later, Dave, when it comes to giving a team the credit and not talk about how terrible the other side are. We'll remember that when we get to United, shall we? And just to clarify, neither Dave nor I are suggesting that Ryan Giggs should get a Premier League job. He's a terrible human being. Uh, let's look at Tottenham then, Dave. Now, they are recovering from a squad that was decimated by injuries and suspensions, so some of it their own doing. Uh, obviously, started the season flying. Postacoglu got manager of the month three months in a row. Looked like they were really on the charge. And they're now outside of the top four. But they got a convincing win against Newcastle, 4-1. Uh, what does this tell us about Spurs? Is it just the case of they fell off the last few weeks because of injuries? Or are we kind of expecting this inconsistency from them with a new squad and new manager? Do they realistically get themselves back into the top four this season? Oh, that's a difficult question to answer. Uh, that's what I'm here to do, mate. Ask you the difficult question. Yeah, Mike's absolutely. not here. We've both. I think we can both say we've seen, you know, a lot of positive things um, from Spurs this season so far. But we've, got, mm. we've seen a lot of um, aspects of them that have kind of caused their own downfall. Um, and that's I just Romero. I think the, the discipline. Yeah, I think discipline will yeah. cost them, and we've seen it cost them already. Um, this season, Romero, Udogi at times is is mm. guilty of that as well. But we've seen. It sounds ironic, and it's kind of I say this, but they remind me a little bit, sort of how Arsenal were a few years ago, where Arsenal mm. would play great football, you know, but they would ha- always have those moments where they would they'd be guilty of, you know, having some absolute comedic moments in in games. But I think you can only say positive things about Spurs at the minute. They're one of the you know most enjoyable teams to watch. That they rarely have a game that isn't you know isn't uneventful. Um, and there's plenty to be positive about. I think the two fullbacks have been absolutely outstanding this season. Yeah, incredible. For me, I think Poro. Uh, there was times, especially um, end of last season, when. He he didn't he he kind of wondered whether he would be good enough defensively, but he, he's yeah. this season he's fully capable of it. Udogi is probably one of the best defenders, best fullbacks at carrying the ball forward. Um, mm. He's just you know so good to watch. Yeah, he's an um, outstanding player. And then you look at uh, everyone that's kind of stepped up since they've had these injuries to Van der Ven and obviously Madison. And, I think it just speaks volumes of the, the character that they've got in, in their team. And, the, you know, Postacoglu's had a bit of stick, particularly over, you know, the last two or three weeks. But clearly, he's having a massive impact on that squad. Mm. And, and it's interesting with the squad because he is changing things as well. So, obviously, Son went back out wide this game. Richarlison came in through the middle and got two goals, which that would do him the world of good, won't it, Dave? Because we've yet to see him really kickstart his Tottenham career he struggles for consistency in front of goal but there is a space to be filled in that number nine role did we see glimpses here of the Richarlison of old can we get excited by this or do we think we'll go back to what we've seen of him so far in a Spurs shirt from here on out I'm still unsure to be honest I'm I'm unsure Um, and let's be honest if he if if James Madison was fit would Richarlison probably be getting in this team yeah, um, but he's got he's got the perfect opportunity to really kind of stake his claim now. Yeah. you know, and he's not been the most obviously um, emphatic finisher, you know, in his career. He's not been known for that. Um, but 
but he's, he's got two goals. He's off the mark now, and this is where it really needs to kind of push on and and uh, he needs to score more goals. That's the main thing for me, being more productive because it's just his end, end product that's always been. I don't think you can ever question his sort of endeavour um, and his drive. Mm-hmm. He's a battler and he'll work for the team and work his socks off. Um, but I think Spurs fans just want to see more and put up more goals. Hmm. Absolutely. But then what can Spurs look to do between now and when they've got players like Madison back fit? Is it just a case of keeping themselves in the conversation? Or do you think they've got enough even without Madison van der Ven to get themselves back into the top four? Because I just... I look at it right now, and bias aside, I don't know who Spurs catch in that top four. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I think there's there's a lot of teams that are capable of beating each other. That's a th- that's the thing for me. Um, you look at obviously the emergence of Villa, obviously Newcastle had a real off day, um, but Spurs absolutely steamrolled them. They they didn't have a hope in this particular game. Um, so. Yeah, like you say, it's difficult to see who drops out of that conversation. Mm. Um, but that's what we're here for. We're here for the com- the competition. Yeah. And the more competitive it is, the better mm. for us. We don't want to see a foregone conclusion this mm. season. We want to see kind of all teams firing on all cylinders and it being a real competitive you know, end to the season. We want to see all teams firing on all cylinders and it being competitive, except for Liverpool. <laughs> a word on Newcastle, Dave. Uh, it's difficult for them right now. We've, we've talked about it already, obviously. We talked about Spurs losing a lot of players to injuries. Newcastle are probably not that far from giving me and you a call at this point. Uh, they've got a huge week, though, haven't they? To try and keep themselves in the Champions League. They've got AC Milan midweek. Have we got much hope for Newcastle right now, or is it just going to be a case of they go all out in the January window to fill these gaps? I mean, they've got to bring some players in. That's evident. Um, yeah. What actually speaks volumes to me as well in these games, I think, was a couple of players that picked up knots. I think Joe Ellington was limping at one point, and then Lascelles was looked like it. It surely looked like he was going to come off at half time, and it he was partly at fault for that first goal that we can see. He just he obviously picked up that that muscle pulled in the, I think, a few, a few mm. minutes prior to the first goal and then couldn't get across the near post quick enough. And it looked all for the world that he would come off at our time, but it just, he never came off. And you thought, well, you know, they're down to the bare bones. You know, I think, yeah. Really. I hardly um, respect that though. Lascelles is the kind of player who will play for that badge even if his leg was falling off. So it's good for him that he, he's continued through, but it, it does look dangerous for Newcastle right now, doesn't it? I think it's the amount of minutes that they're all playing. I think they just yeah. don't have the choice to... See, Lewis Marley played in this game as well. He's a very young think A lot of people forget how vital it is to have a bit of experience, especially in some of these big games, um, even though I thought he performed quite well. Um, but Sean Longstaff is going to be a, a massive plus spring coming back into the team now. Yeah. They need the legs. They just need to get over this final hurdle of, of European competition. Yeah. We, we, we've mentioned, haven't we, plenty of times that whether they'll be able to navigate this sort of jam-packed schedule now they're in the Champions mm. League as well. Um, I think they've done very well, to be honest. I think they've done well with, with what they've had. And like you say, the injuries have got. Isak just looked completely off it in this game. Didn't look yeah, fit. Yeah, frustrating. Um, but so they have Callum to rely on him right now, don't they? Exactly. But Callum Wilson coming back in, um, it's going to be a, a massive factor for them as well. So we'll just Absolutely. see what we can see. They've just got to get to January, really, and look mm. to bring bodies in because that's what they need. 
Mm-hmm. Speaking of getting to January, will Ten Hag have a job by January? No, in all seriousness, right? I want to talk about Bournemouth beating Man United, and I've got a big buzzer under my desk so that every time when I ask you about Bournemouth, you start talking about how bad Man United are instead. I'm going to press that. Okay? So <laughs> talk to me about Bournemouth for a second, Dave. They picked up their first win at Old Trafford, and it's now five wins in seven. They're up to 19 points. And Iriola's got them clicking now, right? He's making the best of this side. I think what was evident, especially in this game, I think there couldn't have been a more tailor-made team to to dismantle United than Bournemouth. And the way that they they can't press and they, the way the energy that they throw into particularly mm. pressing you know, the pitch was... Mm. And the way they actually attacked and exposed United's midfield or lack of midfield um, was absolutely yeah, close to the buzzer. They were just clinical. They were clinical, yeah. really. Um, and although they did probably have the, m- the most opportunities towards the beginning of the game, they, it could have been more. It could have been more mm. than three. And I think that just you know tells you the, the story really of the, of the game. That yeah, absolutely, you know, it does. so much credit because yeah. The way they've turned the season around, it obviously it took a little bit of time to kind of, I think, adapt to his way of playing, his principles. Um, they're mm. now showing it that you know that they look like a well-oiled machine in the way they want to play. It really seems like it's it's seamless, really. Mm. Um, particularly a lot of players. I think uh, Sinesi, I think in this game was outstanding. Um, mm. and the way he defended, I thought de- defensively they looked really good. Um, and the way they broke in, in numbers and in, in transitioning into attack, they did it, you know, really well. United actually struggled with them at times. Mm. Um, so, I mean, there's only so much praise I can do and not moan about United. Come on, we'll get to it. We will get to it. I promise. Um, just worth mentioning, though, it feels a long time doesn't it, since we were talking about how the bottom three was going to contain either all the newly promoted teams or they were going to drag either Bournemouth or Everton into the conversation. Both those sides now look quite comfortably away from that picture. I, I don't really think this is much of a barometer of success right now. But Bournemouth are now level on points for Chelsea. Like, Where did that come from? Uh, come on, we'll, we'll talk about Man United quickly because I want to laugh at it a little bit. Sorry. Um, I don't know, mate. I don't even know where to start. You beat Chelsea. That was a good result. And then you lose 3-0 at home. This week, you've got Bayern Munich in the Champions League and you have to win that game or you'll be out. And even then, it might not be enough. Then you go into Liverpool at the weekend, which Bruno Fernandes kind of got himself suspended for as well. Mate, I I, I I don't know. How have you got more hair than me? There's still time. Give it a year. You're older than me as well. This is shocking. I think it just it's, it is difficult. Um, particularly, I mean, on aggregate, and there was an aggregate scoreline of eight one though, wasn't there? Bayern, Bayern lost five one. Yeah. United lost three 0 So it's not bowling for a very good game tomorrow. <laughs> 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 That's not really making me feel any better about the situation. Um, yeah. But there were signs in the Chelsea game. There, there were signs that that, and it was a great game. To be honest, you know, it was. There was so much, you know, the structure of both teams was laughable at times in that game. Yeah. It's what made it such a great game. Chelsea could have had plenty of opportunities to, to really, you know, create 
create chances and score goals. But if Mikhailo just... Mudrik was a good footballer, then yes. <laughs> it just felt like that game and the Everton game. It just felt like he was consistently sprinting past the last defender, beating his man, and then just ballooning it out of play. So I'm not sure how much credit I'll give United for that one. It, it must be frustrating though because the inconsistency is mad. We're talking about a club that had the manager and player of the month last month, as well as the goal of the month, but that's uh, uncontestable. That was ridiculous. Um, and then you put this performance in at home. I, you had the chance in this game to go level on points with City for a while at least. It feels like your league position was such a false reading of where you are. I, just, I don't know what to make of Man United right now, Dave. Like, are you decent? Are you bad? And th- could your season be over after this week, basically? If you lose to Bayern and lose um, to Liverpool, is that it? Is your season done already? Well, and it's not just that. I think we've got a few difficult games. I know you're playing you on Boxing Day, aren't we? So, <laughs> I'll be honest. I, I, I never com- I never try and oversell my confidence in games against the bigger side. But if there was ever a team perfect for Aston Villa to play, it's definitely Man United. We were, I'm quite confident about that one. Please don't pay this back to me when we lose. So it's not going to be look like it's going to be the most joyous Christmas for Man United fans. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's not looking good. Um, but there's just so many. It's a mess, still, isn't it? It's a mess. The club's a mess. I mean, there's still so much confusion around the the ownership when that's going to be finalised. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, Mike normally ends every podcast with you, Dave, by saying Glazer's out. He's not here today, but I'll, I'll wait in for you just, just for that. <laughs> um, last result I wanted to talk about, uh, I mentioned them already, pulling away from the relegation zone. They're now four points clear of the relegation zone despite a 10-point deduction. Everton beat Chelsea 2-0. Now, again, who knows if that's a good result because even Man United were able to beat them midweek. But we're now talking about Everton. If they hadn't had that deduction, they'd be 10th. And that seems crazy when you consider the start to the season they had, the dismay around the club. But Sean Dyche is slowly but surely making them a really good side, which I suppose was what was to be expected of his reign there, right? They've got to be one of the most clinical teams in the league because they're just the the opportunities and I won't say they create the most opportunities like week in week. I think they had only eight eight shots in this game um, because I think Chelsea had majority of possession, but they're so clinical. Like they've got players who contribute all from all over the pitch. Like the likes of McNeil, I think he's really come on mm. this season, particularly in the last few games, he's really come on strongly. Um, Decore, we've mentioned many times already like the amount of goals yeah. that he's, he's been scoring and contributing with um, it's just a great story really isn't it for, I think for Everton fans and the, I think if they didn't have if they weren't playing the way they were I think it'd be really difficult for them I think you know that positivity they've got that, that Sean Dyche has actually given them and the way that they're playing it's done so much for them um, and it's great to see that this you know this point deduction hasn't affected their mentality or the way that they're working. They've shown that they're stronger than ever and it seems like their run isn't going to come to an end at the minute. They also had that blip with the United loss um, but even they, they're probably unfortunate in that game created a lot of opportunities. Um, but it, it seems like it's the only way is up for them at the minute. And Chelsea, Pochettino came out after the game and said 
And I'm, I'm not joking here, Dave. Pochettino came out after the game and said, well, we need to sign a few players in January. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that and I thought it was a joke. Like, I saw it no, on that's, that's a genuine comment he's made. That is it. And look, to be fair, it's probably true, weirdly. I don't know how, but it just shows how bad some of the business they've done is. If you're trying to compete at that top end, okay, they were unfortunate with injuries. Reese James gone off again with an injury. That kind of seems like that's going to be his career from now on. They're yet to bring on Kunku in, who we've talked about so many times. You are. Nick- Nicholas Jackson didn't start this game, did it? It was Broya who started up. And, and is that really the level that Chelsea are at right now, Broya? I don't know. It's, they probably do need a few more players, which is hilarious when you consider what they've done. But is there a starting to be a bit of worry that Pochettino might not have been the right guy? Any any coach could have gone into that that club. That's the way I see it. I think it would have been a struggle for anyone. Not not super Unai, mate. Either smashed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what it looks like next week because it is a really competitive season so far, which we absolutely love to see. And it feels like it's changing every five minutes. Let's not forget, Villa are above Manchester City in the league right now. So we'll see how long that lasts for. I'm going to stop bragging about it for five seconds. I'm sorry. But generally speaking, whoever you support, we love to cover your team. So please do subscribe to the channel, whether that be on audio platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you find us on. Or, of course, our YouTube channel. We've had massive growth over that over the last couple of months, and we really appreciate your support. So if you can head there and subscribe to the channel, you'll see plenty of content from us. And it's not all me just making Dave feel bad about his club, I promise. Uh, Next week, Dave... Who knows what we'll have to talk about, but I look forward to talking about it with you, mate. Thank you for joining me today. No worries. And we'll Pleasure. see you all again soon. Positive Thanks, guys. <laughs> Just to remind you, you've got Bayern and Liverpool, and then you've said maybe a positive result. But generally speaking, thank you for joining us, guys, and we'll see you soon. See you again.